What is going on, everybody? Welcome back. It is Dog Talk with your host, Holden. Glad to have you guys here tonight as we get going on another episode, recapping the Ole Miss win 52-17 to from last weekend and also previewing the game that we have coming up this weekend against Tennessee in Knoxville. Big game coming up this weekend, one that we've had circled on the calendar all season long. Doesn't have the same implications we thought it might have when we got to it, but nonetheless, we're at the game, and it matters a lot this weekend. Number one, Georgia facing off against number what are they ranked in the coming up this weekend i know ap poll they're like 21st but i can't remember i think they're i think they're 19th maybe even 18th in the uh in the college football playoff poll not i don't remember terrible memory on my part but i do know georgia's number one georgia back in that number one spot kind of where we figured they'd be after the old miss win this weekend because at the time old miss was ranked number nine in the college football playoff committee's eyes before this game and it mattered a lot coming into it so that's uh that's one thing that we have Georgia again on top of that one 52 to 17 this past weekend a game that I thought might be a little bit closer than that a game that I thought was going to be a little more rainy which it, it was kind of a drizzly misty kind of rain but in the end uh, didn't really affect Georgia at all not through the air not on the ground in no way did it really affect Georgia uh, so great thing to see so let's let's kind of get into that big win 52 to 17 um, great game overall. Carson Beck, 306 yards, two touchdowns, does have the one interception, goes 18 for 25 on the night. Brock Vandergriff coming in later, one for one with one pass, did have a five-yarder. Uh, but Kendall Milton, Kendall Milton ran the rock huge in this game, nine times, 127 yards. He had two touchdowns. DeJon Edwards carries it 12 times, also getting two touchdowns right at 60 yards on the night. Kendall Milton was averaging 14.1 yards. But Andrew Paul also later in the game got a rush, got six total, 32 yards, did have a touchdown late in mop-up duty in this game as well to put us over that 50-burger, giving us that 52 mark there at the end of the game. Georgia overall, again, starts this game. Not, I'm not going to say it was slow. It was it was a touchdown for Ole Miss. Georgia gets a touchdown, answers back with a stop, gets another touchdown, and then they tie it up, making it 14 to all before Georgia really started rocking on in the second quarter, making it 28-14 to 14 at the half, scoring another 10, making it 38-14 to to 14 after the fourth or after the third quarter, excuse me. And at one point in time, I believe this game was as high as 45-14, to 14, yeah, before they get a field goal later in the game to make it 45-17, and then Georgia puts it away 52-17 to 17 in, the, in the end. Just a, a huge game, great game overall for Georgia. Most everything working just the way that you would. I was looking at the drives and seeing how Georgia did in this game, and the first four drives that Georgia had the football in their hands, all four accounted for touchdowns, and then getting the ball right before the half, Throwing an interception with about seven seconds left in the in the first half is how that one ends, unfortunately, uh, for Georgia. Something that was kind of odd before that half is we were kind of expecting Georgia to really try to push the ball down the field, um, and we we ate a lot of clock, um, and then we'd throw an interception deep in in Ole Miss territory. But it was just kind of a strange, strange kind of not turn of events. Just really looked like Georgia was going to get the ball back, try to shove it down Ole Miss's throat. Really put this game away before the half, and uh, we were really slow there. I, I, I kind of wanted some more anticipation out of Georgia, and I'm not the one out there coaching, just as a fan and and, and you know somebody 
who uh, who enjoys watching Georgia, sitting there watching them, it was like, all right, all right, why are we not moving? Why are we not why are we not really trying to run down the field right now and and try to put points on the board? Whether it's a field goal or whether we get into the end zone, preferably, and really put this game away at, at thirty five to fourteen. That's a that's a pretty good lead there at the half. In the end, it didn't matter. Um, but that then the second half kind of some similar results there. We punt as soon as we come back out of the half. Uh, and then it's a touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, ball game over. So on what I would say, that's five, that's ten total possessions. Georgia has a turnover on one of them. Uh, they punt it one time and then only have one field goal. Everything else was touchdown. So a pretty successful night offensively for Georgia in this game. You love to see it. Uh, we talked about some of the running backs there, some of the wide receivers. Lab McConkey, 81 yards. Obviously the big return of Bright Bowers. He gets four touches. 34 total yards, and he does also get a touchdown. Lad also had one in there. Dominic Lovett, 40, or excuse me, 77 yards for Lovett uh, in this game. He's kind of racking up. I was looking at some of their stats and comparisons earlier, and I think McConkey actually is second. Well, technically, he's third uh, behind. Let's see, we got Brock Bowers that still leads even after being out that long, 601 yards. And then you have Dominic Lovett at 475 on the season, 418 for Lad. Both Ladd and Dominic only have two touchdowns on the season so far receiving. Uh, so that's kind of a an interesting stat, I guess you could say, to look at there. Oscar Delp, surprisingly, has more touchdowns than both of those guys. He's got three on the season. Robert Thomas coming in there a little bit behind them, 365. Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint just ahead of that at 381. So uh, receiving-wise, looking pretty good, doing pretty good. It was good to have, again, Brock Bowers back. Anytime that you have Brock Bowers in the football game, it makes a huge difference. It was funny to see after the game that he was kind of kind of aggravated with whoever it was that's, that's telling him he shouldn't be playing. Uh, and we all kind of knew coming into it, it was like that's that's not who Brock Bowers is. If he can be on the field and, and wants to be on the field, he's going to be on the field. Um, I wasn't sure if we'd see him back in this game. I was glad to see him. Um, but I know I, I had kind of that same – like hesitation of, man, we really don't want him to get hurt again. Uh, but at the same time, I understand his side of it, which is, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to put it all on the line. I want us to win in whatever way we can, and I want to be a part of that. So uh, really good, again, just to see him back on the field. Uh, shout out to all the seniors. Obviously, this was senior night, last game in Sanford Stadium, last home game of the season, which feels kind of weird, feels fast. I think every season it feels fast. By the time we get to this end of the season, it's like, man, Really, when you look and there's only two games left in the regular season, it, it's just hard to believe just how fast it went because it takes forever to get here, then it gets here, and it, the first half of the season f- feels like it screams by, but then at the same time it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it hadn't been bad. But then you get to the end of the season like this, and it's like, wow, where where did the season go? I mean, just this fast, Georgia's sitting here at a 10-0 record, number one team in the country, AP poll. They've been there pretty much all year. College football pl- playoff poll, they get back on top here at a pretty good time with a couple of weeks left in the season, which is where you want to be. Kirby said this uh, every week is is he does not care about rankings. The only time he wants to be ranked number one is at the end of the season, um, and we're getting to that point already. So excited to see that. There's a lot of pandemonium that can happen in the top of the rankings as we kind of move forward through the rest of the season, these, these last couple of weeks uh, in the season, because some of these top teams are going to play each other, which we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. One other thing I want to touch on on this old Miss game, from this weekend, a huge part of it to me uh, was Georgia, you know, like I was saying there off the top, Georgia scored, or Ole Miss scores, 
and they kind of shot to the sideline a little bit there, and I see the entire defense in a circle with Muschamp and, and Schumann down there kind of talking to them, and even Kirby coming over talking to the defense a little bit. Georgia drives down and scores offensively, gets the ball back, drives down and scores again to go up 14-7, to and then Ole Miss drives down and scores again, and, and same thing, they take a shot to the sideline, and I see the entire defense again wrapped up back there kind of listening, you know, getting coached up by the coaches there. I saw Schumann, you know, doing a lot on the sideline as far as trying to get these guys prepared. And from that point on, Georgia allowed a field goal for the rest of the game. So there have been a lot of times we've seen Georgia this season, you know, they'll put up um, maybe not the greatest numbers in the first half, but then after that second half, it's like, all right, Georgia has become a really good second-half football team. And in, in years past, it seems like either the third, third quarter, especially the fourth quarter years ago, Georgia didn't really score the ball offensively, um, and, and it was a lot tougher for Georgia. But Georgia will score the ball at any point in time in this game. Second half is, is a definite. But to see Georgia not necessarily make the adjustments only at halftime, but see them make it during the game – defensively that was huge that's that's a that was a big big notice by me was and and I'm not saying I'm the only one that noticed it I'm sure many of you guys did but the fact that Georgia was making those adjustments in game wasn't waiting till halftime to make the adjustments and stop them from scoring they were making it in the first quarter after Ole Miss is scoring in the second quarter after Ole Miss is scoring in this game so that was an important thing to me to notice was the fact that Georgia's making these in-game Adjustments, yeah, they scored right there in the start of the second quarter. Um, but seeing those end games adjustments for uh, the defense, that was huge. And again, the fact that they only got a field goal out of it for the rest of the game, that was that was really important. Also, because it was you know halfway through the fourth quarter before they ever put any more points on the board. Big big game for Georgia. Awesome defensively. Let's look at some of the keys that we had in the game. Offensively was protect the ball. Uh, we did that. We we did it well. You know, again, we have the interception right there before the half where we're kind of trying to push it downfield, maybe trying to do a little bit too much. Have the interception, but for the most part, we pre- protected the ball uh, when it mattered. We're, we're not having muffed punts. We're not having fumbles. We're not having a bunch of interceptions or, or fumbles in that way, too, from a quarterback standpoint. So protecting the ball overall did well in this game. Keeping drives alive. Georgia did a fairly good job at this. I wanted to pull up my third down stats that I usually have every week offensively georgia puts up 611 total yards in this game compared to uh, 352 for that of old miss yeah, here we go third down georgia goes five for five of eight uh holding old miss to six of 15 which they were really successful in that first half of five of eight there were a lot of times georgia was not even getting down to that third down uh, spot that didn't happen very much in this game you know there in the third quarter it did obviously we have the punt but that first half Georgia really didn't see very many third downs which is another you know a credit that again to an offense that's moving the ball really well on first and second down and when you're allowing those short yardages for third down that's how you're able to get those first on third and extend those drives and keep them alive uh, in that way so Georgia did that very effectively five for eight on the night uh, and then running the ball again we did that very effectively as well we had like 311 yards through the air and also 300 yards on the ground so very very balanced offense very balanced but running the ball really good again shout out Kendall Milton when that dude's healthy it's awesome this is one one of the things I was talking about when you have a team that gets healthy at the end of the season it's so so beneficial and you have that with with Lab McConkey now being healthy and looking just like Ladd has looked all all his his career in a, in a Georgia uniform, and it's going to be sad not to see him in it after this season. But 
he's coming back into it. Having Brock Bowers back, having having a Kendall Milton who's 100% healthy, having a Dijon Edwards who's 100% healthy, having an Amarius Mims coming back. Um, I, I believe, obviously, we lose uh, – was it Warren Brinson on defense? I'm, I'm terrible at not writing these things down. Uh, but we do lose a defensive lineman. I don't know how long that's going to be. I didn't listen to uh, Kirby's presser earlier this week. Been a kind of busy week as we're getting prepared for the the Thanksgiving week coming up next week. But uh, over the overall, offensively, did great. This offense and the defense getting healthy is so important, and that's what we've been having here over the past couple of weeks. Defensively, then, we want to contain Dart, and I think we did a fairly good job of that. Obviously, he gets hurt later in the game, which stunk for him. You know, you never want a guy to get hurt, uh, especially a guy in, in, in Jackson Dart who can can beat you, and he can beat you with his legs. He did end up rushing the ball eight times, 37 yards is what he ends up uh, putting up, 17 of which he did lose, so he nets 20 yards on the game, uh, obviously, after a couple of sacks in this game. When that when that happens, you know, when you're getting to the quarterback, that makes it important. And then stopping the run game. I think Georgia did a fantastic job at this, uh, only allowing Ole Miss in this game to rush the ball for 199 yards. That's all they got. Didn't even get a full 200 yards. In it, I think Quinshawn Judkins, yeah, 77, 75 yards is what he totals uh, on the night. A couple of their under, other running backs. You know, they end up 179 is actually what their total yardage was. Two touchdowns. Both of those did come from Quinshawn. So, 179 is what they end up on the on the ground. I'd say that's pretty effective for a Georgia team if I look at their stats right now, who has only given up on the ground 180 yards. So, that's pretty close to what the average is, two and a, 2.8 touchdowns a game, uh, which they gave up two in this one. So, pretty, pretty average as far as what Georgia gives up defensively. Um, not too much more than that. So I do believe we did pretty good at stopping the run, especially with what Quinshawn Judkins can do to you offensively. Uh, and then fourth down, we had to be prepared for them going forward on fourth down. How many times did they do it? Did it four times in this game. They were 50%. They went two for four on the fourth down conversions, and they started early. We knew that that was going to happen. If you give them short yardage, uh, fourth and one, fourth and two, really doesn't matter where they are as long as they're not on like the 10-yard line. Uh, there, there's a very strong possibility uh, that they're going to go for it, and they did that. They did it a couple of times in this game again, but two for four. So did pretty good on that. We were prepared, I think, in all aspects as far as that goes. So offensively did well in these keys to the game and defensively. Thought this game was going to end about 31-17. to 17. Uh, did get them 17. That's that's where they landed on that, but Georgia scores a good bit more than that, which, again, glad to see. Wasn't sure if this was going to be a game that, that Georgia would blow them out or if they would keep it fairly close, but uh, it was close for the first quarter, <laughs> really. And then second half, Georgia kind of takes a, a two-touchdown lead and never looked back. Ten more in the third, 14 more in the fourth, only allowing that field goal late in the fourth as well. Uh, to put it away, 52-17, so – Big game over Ole Miss. Um, very happy to see that. Very glad to see Georgia continuing the trend that they are. Again, 10-0, and number one team in the country in all aspects. Let's get to the picks of the week really quick before we jump into previewing this Georgia-Tennessee game that we've got coming up this weekend. I did take Georgia over Ole Miss at the time. I also took the under 58.5. I thought the rain would be a little thicker, making it a little bit tougher uh, to put points on the board, but that did not affect Georgia at all. So they do go over that 58. I think they end up scoring 70 total is what the number is on there. 
So I uh, didn't get that, but one for one, I'm all right with that. Took Alabama over Kentucky. That happened. FSU over Miami. That happened. LSU over Florida. That happened. So a four and one week, I'll take that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's going to move me 28, 24, and two on the season. So we're getting above the 500 mark. It's taking this late into the season uh, to really start to edge that 500 mark because start of the season, we were really bold with some picks and, uh, you kind of start to learn about what teams are going to be as you get later into the season like this. So that's kind of how that shapes up there against Ole Miss. Let me make sure I didn't have anything else that I needed to touch on on it. I don't think I do, so I think we're good to go to jump into this Tennessee game that we've got coming up this weekend. So coming into it again, Georgia, number one team in the country, uh, sixth in the country with points scored per, per game at 40.6 is what we're averaging. And then defensively, we're only giving up 15.6 points a game, which is also sixth in the country. It's kind of funny how, how these past couple of weeks, couple of weeks, I don't think it was this way last week. I think it got a little off. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, we were seventh in the country offensively scoring and defensively scoring and are uh, holding teams to that point margin. And now we're we're back better than that, both of which now are in sixth in the country, which is a pretty good place to be. Top, top ten team in the country, both scoring and also allowing teams to score. Uh, I'll take that. I'll take that any time of the day, especially when we look across the board at the team that we're playing this week in, in Tennessee, who is only scoring 32 points a game, that's good enough to be 37th in the country, and then they're only allowing 20.2 points per game, which is 29th in the country, if you were wondering uh, the differences. Anyways, looking at what Tennessee, or let's see, we'll, we'll look at what Georgia has starting things off here, kind of like we do every week. Offensively, 323 yards through the air, generally 324 yards through the air is what we average. We average 180 yards. I actually had the number wrong earlier. I was looking at our offensive rushing, not our defensive. Defensively, Georgia really only gives up 107, right at 108 yards per game. So that number probably went up a little bit from the week before because I think the week before we were right at 100 yards a game, and that went up about eight, about eight yards after Ole Miss was able to run for about 200. Ole Miss also, by the way, jumping back to this other part, uh, Threw the ball for 173 yards and 175 on the ground. So that's kind of how those those average up. But anyways, back to this one. Back to this game. Uh, Georgia, 180 yards on the ground. Offensively averaging right now right at 505 yards uh, per game. Then defensively only giving up 181 yards. There's my other number. Uh, through the air and then 107, like I said, 108 on the ground. So offensively or defensively only giving up right at 290 yards uh, per game defensively. So Georgia looks pretty good on that. Let's Tennessee, the comparison to that is uh, they get offensively 241, basically 242 through the air and 213 on the ground. So they're a pretty good running offense, averaging about 454 yards, 455 yards a game. Defensively, defensively, they're giving up 227 yards through the air, 120, well, that's actually about 113 uh, yards on the ground. That's an average of about 340 yards defensively. So they're pretty good offensively and not too bad defensively. But Georgia, based on their averages, gives up a little bit less little bit less uh, defensively by, I'd say, that's about 60, about 60 yards. And Georgia is also outgaining them by 50 to 60 yards as well. So 
pretty good, pretty good advantage there for Georgia on the part of at least looking at those statistics. But again, th- this game's not played on paper. This game's played on a field. And by the way, that field is going to be loud. This is a three thirty game at Neyland. Um, we know that that this is always going to be a good atmosphere. Um, we know that in years past, by the fourth quarter, that atmosphere changes um, because generally Georgia is up pretty well in those games. And we want to continue that this week or this yeah well this year uh, as well, being able to go into Needland and and affect that game on the field to where what's happening in the stands doesn't matter. But there's definitely one thing for sure: Tennessee is not in a in a position to win anything in the East. Georgia has has already wrapped that up, has already punched the ticket to Atlanta in December to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. But t- that doesn't mean Tennessee doesn't they. They're still going to give you everything that they want. They're still going to do everything that they can to beat you. They're going to be as loud as they possibly can and as, as obnoxious as Knoxville can possibly be. It's just always been that way. It, it never matters how good they are or how bad they are. They're, they're, they're going to do everything that they can to annoy you and, and to beat you in that way that they can anyway. So one thing we're going to have to be prepared for is the crowd noise. Again, luckily the game is not at night. By the end of it, it will be dark. Um, and, that, and that's a that's a three thirty kick. CBS would get that again on the road. In this case, um, I, I expect again Tennessee's going to bring it. They're going to bring everything they can. This the point spread in this game. I think it's ten right now. Uh, so I think it opened at eleven, eleven and a half, something like that. So I've seen it drop. I've seen it come back towards Georgia's way a little bit, and then kind of go back to that ten. So that's probably where it's going to sit by the time we get there on Saturday morning. And that's that's not a, that's not too bad of a of a point spread, I don't think. Um, I've got it a little bit differently than that, but what does it matter what I think, right? Because everybody can have it a little bit differently. I think it's going to be a good game, Georgia, offensively, though. I think this is a game where Tennessee comes out like they have in years past, and they're really fast. They've got a potent offense. Um, you know, it's just fast. They're, they're running a lot of plays quickly. But the good thing is, last week, Ole Miss is a team that also does that. They occasionally have that hurry up and, and rushing the offense. So, Georgia, luckily, has kind of had a little bit of a test to that last week and somewhat preparing for it. Tennessee's faster than that. Um, but the biggest thing is Joe Milton. I think that's one of the big keys in this game is we've got to affect him as we kind of get to our keys offensively. Offensively, it's got to be – or, excuse me, yeah, offensively. I think Carson Beck just has to continue continue doing what he's been doing. So Carson has to continue to be successful in this one. I think a big part of this, especially being on the road in an atmosphere that's going to be as loud as this one, similar to how it was in Auburn, we cannot, and I know this is a key just about every week, but we cannot have turnovers. Cannot. Because if you're starting to turn the ball over, you're giving more opportunity for Tennessee to have the ball. And the more opportunity you give them to have the ball, they do have that potential to score against you. I think that's with anything. That's, that's kind of a given. Uh, but you're also talking about then you're against an atmosphere. Then you then you allow the crowd to kind of try to make more of a game and an impact on it. So that, that's a huge one we cannot have uh, happening in this one. And I think the last key in this one, I think it's going to be wideouts. I think, uh, I think we'll be able to run the ball pretty effectively. But I think it's also going to be a wideouts. I think I think this is a chance for for Carson Beck to to really show out and kind of put an explanation point almost on the end of the season. Obviously, we still got to go to Atlanta next week, um, but this is an opportunity for for Beck to really connect with these wideouts. And and I don't mean just a, a Brock Bowers. I think Brock's definitely going to have a good game too. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity that our wideouts really kind of show out. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. I think that's a good opportunity uh, for this. Then defensively. 
I mean, the key is going to be this just about every week, but we, we have got got to contain Joe Milton. I think that's a big one. Got to have a strong secondary is the second. And then lastly, creating those turnovers. I think if we're creating the turnovers or keeping that margin even at least, uh, now I, I think two and two, that's that's where that margin, when we're turning over twice, they are, that's, you know, you would think it's good, but if we're in, we're giving them better field position or vice versa. You just don't want to have any turnovers. Even if that, if it is like we turn it over and they turn it over once, that's not as bad as if we're both turning it over, but we're giving it to them in better space. And same if they're giving it to us in better space. But you just you got to limit those turnovers. So offensively, Beck just continuing that same success, not having turnovers, and then having a, an elite wideout play is what we'll call it. And then defensively, got to contain Joe. Um, and this strong secondary got to be prepared in that secondary. Squirrel White's probably the big one. I don't, I can't remember if he got hurt a couple of weeks ago. I know they had a guy that got hurt and is out for the season. Um, but then we've also got to create those turnovers, wreak that havoc on defense. And this is a good opportunity for some of those young guys uh, to continue doing what they're doing. That's uh, CJ Smith or CJ Allen. I can't remember now. Um, he had a huge game, huge game last week. It was CJ Smith, huge game last week against Ole Miss. So this is an opportunity for him to continue that growth uh, and continue to get better in this one. I'm going to pick this one 38-20 to 20, going the dog's way again. I think I think Tennessee comes into this one similar like Ole Miss. I think they, they're firing on all cylinders there in that first quarter. I think they probably put up 14 points or 13 at least in that first quarter. Uh, I think it's a pretty fast-moving kind of game for them there in the first half. Um, and then I think in the second half, you know, they kick a field goal, and we kind of keep it a little bit close for a little while. I could see this really being like a like a 31, you know, 31 to 20, and then Georgia puts another touchdown on late uh, to, to really put it away, 38 to 20. But really I could see this being like a 24-17 kind of game there in maybe the third quarter, and then a field goal by Tennessee making it – making it 24-20, Georgia scoring again, or maybe making it 31-17, to then 31-20, to uh, and then Georgia ends up pulling away, like I said, there in the end. Uh, but 38-20 is what I'm going to put Georgia on this one. I think it's a little bit close in the first half, but I think Georgia takes care of business in the second half. Not going to take any kind of spread or anything like that on it, uh, but I think Georgia handles this game, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. Again, I, I think this is a game that we can't come into sleeping. I don't think that Georgia's going to do that. I think Georgia still hears the noise uh, of people that are still doubting them, and I know some people are going, Who, who's doubting them? To me, anytime you're listening to a talking head that says, you know, well, they got to go to Neyland, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's eventually got to happen. You're right. But that is the doubt that they need. That's the only motive. I don't even think it's the motivation they need. They, they don't have to hear it. Uh, but but hearing it, to me, is more motivation. Just like Brock Bowers being told, hey, maybe you shouldn't go back out there. You know, that pisses you off, and it makes you want to get out there even more uh, and prove the reason that you should be out there. But this is a game you can't sleep on. Um, I will give credit out to Tennessee in this way. They have the third longest, I believe, home winning streak at 14 games. And that last game that they lost at home was to Georgia two years ago when Georgia came to Knoxville the last time. Last five times Georgia has played Tennessee, they have won. I think Georgia is now up 27-22 to 22 since that time. Uh, that they played each other five straight for for Georgia. I think it may even be seven straight. However long ago that you have to go back uh, to to that Dobbs Hail Mary in in Athens that we don't like to think about. Um, that's that's the last time 2016 Kirby Smart's first year in 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 Georgia. So it's been a long time since Tennessee has beat Georgia. 
And uh, I, I want that to continue. I want that same trend to continue that, that Tennessee's still not beating Georgia uh, this year. And by a margin of 38 to 20, I'd take that. I know that that's a 10-point spread. You know me. I'm not, I'm not taking the spread on any of these. because Every time I take it for Georgia, it never happens. I'd like to see that uh, my stats against those are, are not very good. Um, and you don't really have any other big games kind of walking away from this Georgia-Tennessee game this weekend. There, there's not very many good games, especially in the SEC. The SEC chose to play uh, not, not very important games this weekend. Georgia-Tennessee is probably the biggest game of the weekend as far as the SEC goes, at least. You got Washington, number five Washington and Oregon State uh, that are going to be playing that night. You got Utah-Arizona. Those are a couple of the good ones that are going on around the country. Maryland and Michigan, I don't think that's anything to sleep on just because of Maryland. Louisville, Miami, again, can't sleep on Miami, but this is the opportunity for Louisville to to basically punch their ticket and playing in the ACC championship against uh, a Florida State team who's, who's on fire right now. Uh, but this is also the opportunity for Miami to kind of mess that up. So we'll see. You got Oklahoma and BYU, Penn State, Rutgers, uh, to let's see i'm trying to look at some of the other bigger games app state and and jmu i know that's you know to me that might be an important part of this you know i saw where jmu was denied the uh the opportunity to be able to play in a bowl game or something like that so uh pretty ridiculous when you have an undefeated football team who can't play for their conference championship nor can they play in a bowl game unless there's room at the end of the season um yeah, interesting. North Carolina at Clemson. Clemson is a big favorite at home, even though they're not ranked, and North Carolina does have a better record. Wake Forest at Notre Dame. Oklahoma State, Houston, Minnesota, Iowa, or Ohio State, excuse me. Oregon, Arizona State. Florida, Missouri might be a good one. I'd love to see Missouri at home kind of waxing that one late in night. Texas at Iowa State. Uh, and then we'll get to some of the other big ones next week when we get into – um, I know Boston College and Pitt are playing right now, but next week we'll get into those Thanksgiving games, and, and that'll be kind of fun. So looking at uh, looking at some of the polls here and some of the stuff I've been thinking about, like just, just looking at this college football playoff possibility. For the committee, right now you have five undefeated teams, two of which are going to play one another, two of which in, in the number two and number three team in the country are going to play each other. The committee's hope right now is that Georgia goes undefeated for the rest of the season and wins the SEC championship. The committee hopes that either Ohio State or Michigan goes undefeated and wins their conference championship. Same for Florida State, same for Washington, because then you get four undefeated teams. Also a fun part of it is you would have four different conferences that would be representing in the college football playoff for the last time before conference realignment and before we expand to the 12-team playoff next year. But... But pandemonium can happen. I'm just going to hit you with a hypothetical real quick. I'm sure you guys have been hearing it all week. But let's just say Georgia wins out. And let's just say, I don't, I don't want to think about it because this is the last team that I would like to think about us losing to and that, that, that coming to an end in the SEC championship game in December. But let's just say Georgia wins out. It's 12-0, loses in the SEC championship game, moves to 12-1. Let's look at Ohio State. Let's say they lose to Michigan. Now they're 11-1 and one at the end of the season. Michigan, we're going to say they go undefeated because they got all the playbook. You know, they, they know what's happening. They, they, they got the signs. They'll go undefeated, so I'll give them that nod. They go on and they win the Big, Big Ten Conference. FSU, let's say they win out, and let's say that they lose 
to a Louisville team who maybe wins out and is a, a 11 and one football team. All of a sudden, you have an undefeated 12 or 13 and 0 if they win their conference in Michigan at the top. Then below that, you have a 12 and one Georgia who did not win their conference, a 12 and or 11 and one uh, at that time Ohio State who did not win their conference. You would have a Florida State 11 and one or 12 and one who did not win their conference. A Washington, this was the other one, Washington loses to Oregon, who is ranked one below them. All of a sudden you have a 12-1 and and a 12-1 and team in Washington and Oregon. Then down below it, let's say Texas wins the Big Ten or Big 12. Now all of a sudden they're 12-1 and as a conference champion. Then you got Alabama there at 12-1 and as an SEC champion. Then you got Louisville there as a 12-1 as and ACC champion. You all of a sudden have a lot, a lot of, of one-loss teams up in that top ten, and most of which have played each other to be there. Georgia will have lost to Alabama, who won the SEC championship, but Texas beat Alabama, and they won their conference championship. Who do you put in? Team who's been at the top the entire time but loses the conference. We've seen that happen before, but if pandemonium has happened beneath it, where Ohio State is obviously losing to Michigan – or vice versa, and one of them, one of them has a loss, but the other is undefeated. But then the other has to go on and win the Nash or the the conference championship. Florida State in the same way, if they somehow lost to Louisville, Washington again, if they fell to Oregon. I mean, everything just gets crazy. All of a sudden, it gets crazy. So for the committee's sake, I'm sure they're sitting here going, "Man, if that happened, we just have to take conference champions." And if you did that. If let's just say it, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the hypothetical out there. If Alabama was to beat Georgia in the SEC championship, they're a conference champion. Okay. If if Michigan wins out, wins the conference championship, they're a conference champion. That's two. If FSU wins out and they win the conference, that's three. Now if if Washington loses to Oregon, who beat them earlier in the season, Washington who beat Oregon. Now you have two one-loss teams that are sitting there. But you have a Texas team who, if they win their conference, beat Alabama earlier in the season, but they're their own champion of the Big Ten, or Big 12, excuse me. What do you do in that situation? You got a number one team who's been there pretty much all year, has a really good resume by the end of it, especially with Missouri being ranked in that top ten. What do you do in that situation? Who do you put where? Do you just say, okay, at this point – because of how crazy it's gotten, we have to put conference champions in there. Well, then you have the choice to make. Do If if Michigan wins out and they win the conference, okay, they're in. They're, they're, that's the shoe in, the only undefeated team left. Then you have to look and hope FSU does the same thing, two undefeateds. Because, again, if Louisville beats them and they don't lose for the rest of the season, then pandemonium has happened. But let's just say FSU wins out. They're undefeated. Two undefeateds are two are in. Now you got to take conference champions from either the SEC, the Pac-12, or the Big Ten. Who do you leave out? Because if you put the Pac-12 in there, you got a number five and a number six team who are going to play each other for that championship more than likely. And if Oregon was to win that, you have two one-loss teams, both of which standing at twelve and one when they go to play each other. If that happens, if Oregon wins, at least that's 12 and 1. And that would push Washington 12. What do you do? What do you do? Do you take a Pac 12? Let's say you take a Pac 12, that's your third. Now, who do you put in the fourth? And Alabama, who beat the number one team in the country and won the SEC, 
But then you have Texas, who let's say they won out and won the Big 12, and they beat Alabama in the earlier season. Do you leave an SEC team out? A team who year in and year out has been there, who has two teams who are worthy of being there, one of which has been at the top of the pole all season long? I don't know. I think it's a tough a tough road to hoe if you're on that on that committee. One that I would not want to have to be on, one that I would not want to have to answer if pandemonium happened. So their hope has to be that these teams that are at the top and that are undefeated continue that way. Because the only savings grace for them, if Georgia wins out, if Ohio State or Michigan wins out, if Florida State wins out, and if Washington wins out, and also all four of those win their conference, is you have at that point, okay, I have four conference winners that are all undefeated. Everybody below them now has at least one loss. There should be no question at that point on who's in or who's out. That's all there is to it. They have to hope that that's what happens. But I think we know every year, just like last year, at the end of the year, there was opportunity for pandemonium to happen, and it did. USC falls off. Utah comes in and upsets things. TCU loses, but they get in anyways. Ohio State falls, but here they come right back in because of these other losses that have happened. Alabama right there on the outside looking in, but couldn't quite edge themselves in. So pandemonium can happen, and generally it does. Again, like I said, I don't want to be on the committee if that happens because if it happens, it's just going to be a tough tough time to have to have to deal with it. But anyways, that's the talk of the week. That's the wrapping up of the Ole Miss game from last week and also previewing that Tennessee game that we have coming up this week. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope Georgia can continue that winning streak. Uh, not only the winning streak, also winning at Needland and breaking that streak of theirs. Um, looking forward to that. Make sure you guys follow us on all the socials at Dog Talk 20. I greatly appreciate it. We'll check in with you guys after the game on Sunday. Good dogs. Good dogs.